Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. I have Tracy back on today's episode. We're going to talk about Jesus Feminist, which is a book by Sarah Bessie, and how Sarah Bessie contends, and we are contending as well, that you can be a Christian and follow the Savior and also be a feminist, which is a little bit of a radical idea, but we're going to be talking about that today. Before we get to that, I had a woman talk about her experience with my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama, which is available on our website at btr.org backslash books. Our website, btr.org backslash books. If you go there, that's just a curated list of books that we recommend. If you click on those books, it just takes you right to Amazon. So it's not like you won't be at Amazon anyway, but at least you can see all the books that we recommend all in one spot. So go check out that page to see all the books that we recommend. A woman posted about her experience with Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, and this is what she said. I'm actually not reading it word for word to protect her identity. This is what she said. I ordered and received Anne Blythe's Trauma Mama, Husband Drama book two days ago. I showed it to my husband. He was literally shocked to see how much it resembled our life together. He tried to see if he could play it off a tiny bit and wanted to know if I got it from church. That's been one of his excuses before, that I wouldn't feel this way if I wasn't brainwashed by churchy stuff. When I told him I ordered it from a site for abused women, he got real quiet. He said that it showed him what I've been saying all along wasn't just me overreacting. Whether he chooses to change or not, it helped me validate my experiences with him to him, which is what I've been searching for. Very grateful for that chance. I showed him the abuse cycle circle in the back of the book, and again, he got kind of quiet. It looked like he had this realization of sorts, of what he was doing to me for the past 12 years, because it wasn't just me calling it abuse. He said I was overreacting, exaggerated, and just plain making up, but now there was proof that it was all actual abuse in an actual visible cycle of actions that he knows he does. I didn't think anything would get him to understand even the teeniest amount, but this book really helped. He just kept saying, that's us in that book. It's like they made it for us. He even brought it up with a church leader, saying that up until now he believed that I was just making things up and complaining, but that now he sees that what he was doing was abusive. So now he seems to be having his eyes opened, so we'll see, I guess. Of course, like all of us, she's not sure what to make of this and if he really does understand it or not, or if just confronted with it, he had to admit it, and who knows what will happen in the future. But that's one woman's experience sharing the book Trauma Mama, Husband Drama with her abusive husband. It's not necessarily something I recommend. I recommend that women, rather than try to get their abuser to stop, that they get to safety. That is what I would recommend. But this is this woman's experience, and I wanted to share it with you. Um, The reason why it's so dangerous to try and help your abuser understand his abusiveness is because it could put you in danger for further abuse. So that's a tricky situation. At the same time, all of us have tried that, right? All of us have tried saying to the man in our lives who is abusive, hey, this is what you're doing to me. Can you please stop? So in her experience, trauma mama, husband drama really helped. And we don't know what the long-term implications of that will be. Who I do recommend it for, though, is clergy or family or friends who really have a hard time wrapping their head around the fact that this is an abuse issue and this is abuse scenario, that it's not a pornography addiction problem. It's not a communication problem or a problem that can be solved in couple therapy. To pick up your copy of Trauma Mama Husband Drama, go to btr.org backslash books. 
I have great news about Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. We recently added two new sessions. So depending on your time zone will depend on when those sessions are for you. So go to our website, btr.org, and click on Join the Group to see the updated session schedule. We're excited about offering these new sessions. We do add sessions from time to time as more women join because we want to make sure that there's availability. My goal in the long run is to have so many sessions that women can get into a supportive, safe, nurturing group online within a couple of hours in every single time zone. So that's my goal eventually. We're not quite there, but we do provide more sessions and give more support to victims of emotional abuse and psychological abuse and sexual coercion than any other organization. So again, go to btr.org to see the session schedule, and we'd love to see you in a session today. Okay, now Tracy and I are going to have a discussion about the concepts we learned in the book Jesus Feminist by Sarah Bessie. Welcome back, Tracy. Thank you. We're going to talk about Jesus feminist a little bit. So many women and men, a lot of men, have this negative feeling of the word feminist. It just feels wrong. Like, I don't, I don't want to use that term. I don't really like it. A lot of them, it's because of their religious leanings. They feel uncomfortable because of parts in the Bible that talk about how women need to submit to their husbands or other factors. There's some other societal factors that have made women feel uncomfortable about the word feminist. I would say that Betrayal Trauma Recovery is a women's empowerment organization. And to me, the word feminist simply means that women have equal rights that women are seen as human. Yeah, it's the radical idea that women are humans too. (laughs) Yeah, it's this radical, crazy idea. Yeah, good point. That women are humans too. They have rights and feelings and that they deserve to be heard and taken seriously. I think it's really important to talk about this because the heart of abuse is men's entitlement to a few things. Number one, men's entitlement to women's bodies, that they're entitled to be able to use women's bodies how they choose to, and they don't really have to answer to any other woman for their sexual misbehavior or their compulsive sexual acts, that they're sort of entitled to be able to use their sexuality in any way they choose, and it's not hurting anybody because apparently their wife isn't human because I don't get why she's so upset about my porn use. When it comes to abuse and sexual acting out and sexual coercion, the misogyny piece cannot be ignored. It's not something that we can take separately. This isn't a man who respects women in general and has this view of women as equals, who is able to abuse women, both their own wife, and also abuse women by masturbating to them being abused and exploited for entertainment or sexual gratification. So the misogyny piece cannot be ignored. I really appreciated Sarah Bessie's books. I've invited Tracy back to talk about feminism within this context. Let's start there. You interjected, which was fantastic, and said the radical idea of feminism means that women are human. Can you talk more about that? First of all, just my own experience growing up, was very much what you just described. It was an absolute aversion to the word, to the point that I never did any due diligence in even learning about it. I just accepted that it was a bad thing. (laughs) Feminism was a bad thing. I grew up hearing the word feminazi used by people close to me, which is a really, really derogatory, mean 
mean thing to say. I just didn't, even in my adulthood, when I started opening myself up a little bit to some ideas in feminism, I thought, is there another term we can use? <laughs> is there another term? Is there another word we can use? Um, but, but now I have come to embrace and love the word. Um, I do consider myself a feminist, not just a feminist. I consider myself a radical feminist. <laughs> Let's see what Sarah Bessie says about it. She says, page 13 of her book, she says, feminism is complicated and it varies for each person, much like Christianity. It's not necessary to subscribe to all the diverse and contrary opinions within feminism to call oneself a feminist. Feminism gained popularity as a result of secular work and scholarship, but the line between sacred and secular is man-made because God is the source of truth. Christians can still give thanks to God for the good works associated with feminism, such as the gaining of status for women as persons under the law, voting, owning property, and defending themselves in a court of law against domestic violence and rape. As Canadian theologian John D. Stackhouse Jr. says, Christian feminists can celebrate any sort of feminism that brings more justice and human flourishing to the world, no matter who is bringing it, since we recognize the hand of God in all that is good. Modern Christian feminism is alive and well, from social justice movements to seminaries and churches to suburban living rooms worldwide. At the core, feminism simply consists of the radical notion that women are people, too. I was talking with someone about it. They were really uncomfortable about the word feminist. And they said, well, I just don't want it to swing too far. <laughs> and I said, the pendulum cannot swing too far on equality. Like what? The, we always have to keep women a little bit below men. Like, no, it can swing as far as it needs to swing. And currently speaking, women are not believed. Women are not taken seriously. When they experience this extreme victimhood, they are blamed for it. There is no ability for the oppressed class, that would be women, to, it's basically like, if we talk about it, we shouldn't talk about it in that way. If we complain about it, we're complaining about it too much. If we stay silent about it, we were in denial. There's no way right now to appropriately protest it without being blamed in some way. Right. Because it sounds radical. <laughs> yeah, it sounds extreme, right? Oh, she's using this word abuse. It's not that extreme. And you're like, no, that's actually what it is. And I'm not being extreme. Yeah, the pendulum can't swing far enough as far as I'm concerned. I don't think that it can go too far when it comes to equality. And so until women have the ability to be equal, literally equal, as equally believed, as equally understood, as equally taken seriously, the pendulum has not swung far enough. I agree. I love what Sarah Bessie says. She names one of her chapters, Jesus Made a Feminist Out of Me. And I'm like, me too. Me too. This was part of the transformation, the post-traumatic growth. It was tapping into this truth that society had been suppressing in me for most of my life leading up to that point. She also talks about that moment. On page 111, she says, she's talking about a difficult experience for herself, which is had to do with pregnancy, but for me, it was betrayal trauma. And she says, but the truth remains, regardless of the circumstances unique to us, the voice of God has a habit of breaking through the noise of our lives, giving us a turning point, an epic, so that we mark the rest of our lives differently from that moment on. When we talk about these moments in our lives, we begin our stories with the words, and then everything changed. And that was betrayal drama. And I'm a feminist now. Jesus made a feminist out of me. That 
was a natural result of healing in my life. I'm going to take a break for just a second to read a review that came in on Apple Podcasts. I love hearing from you. So if you're so inclined, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps because every single review that you leave, especially your comments, helps isolated women find us. This woman said, my eyes were opened. For years, I thought my husband, now ex, had a sex addiction. The pain and suffering myself and my children have experienced is catastrophic. It was not until I listened to this podcast that I learned that we are abuse survivors. Calling it abuse instead of addiction has been a game changer for my healing and my children's healing. It has been crucial because now we get the types of resources we need. The sex addiction route left us feeling more wounded and more abused. It was like we really didn't matter and only he mattered. Now we understand that safety is the most important goal and that my ex is an abuser who has sexually, physically, mentally, and emotionally abused us for years. Thank you, BTR, for doing the hard work of getting this message to the public. I'd like to thank this woman for sharing her thoughts and uh, grateful for her. Please help us get this message to every woman who needs to hear it by sharing this podcast on social media. Also, commenting with your stories on these podcast episodes on our website. If you go to btr.org, you can find this episode and share your story and share your thoughts about feminism or questions that you have or anything that you want to share. You can share them on our website. We so appreciate when you tag us or when you link to us on any social media platform. It really does help women who are isolated find us. Okay, now back to our conversation. For women who are uncomfortable with this word feminist, I want you to think about why. I want you to consider the term feminazi, right, or the gaslighting that has taken place that would say feminists are bad. And exactly what about that is causing that issue? Who is telling you feminists are bad? What is that about? Because I think if you really think about it, you'll realize this, this gaslighting effect by society in general and also men in general to try and say, no, women cannot be equal to men. It's because it's a disruption of the status quo. And that makes people uncomfortable. Also, it infringes on the power structures as they are. It's a threat to patriarchy. I agree, though, with Sarah when she says patriarchy is not God's dream for humanity. It took me a while to come to that. For a while, even after I was beginning to embrace feminism, I still was like, but is there a way that, like, to make it work within patriarchy? Is there a way that patriarchy is still the right way? And like, and we just have to tweak this or tweak that? And ultimately, no. I believe that patriarchy is a result of the fall. Like that's not how God intended for men and women to interact with each other. And when you say patriarchy... The hierarchy, yeah, yeah. Men are in charge legally. They make the laws. <laughs> you know, spiritually or religiously rather. And like they're the organizers of the structure of society. And for most of human history, women really didn't have much power. I mean, they weren't counted as, as you were saying before, as human. You're literally treated as property. You can't vote. You have no say in how the laws are actually written that affect you results in a terrible, terrible experience for women and girls. But I would say that it's not healthy for boys and men either. Like it's not what God intended. It also sets these really strict defined gender roles. I don't think that they're helpful to men either. 
even though men, I believe they are a creation of men, I don't think that that's even very helpful for them. It's comfortable for them because it was made to be more comfortable for them, (laughs) but it's still not the way that God intended it. Right. Well, and you think about the, so you've got the class that's in charge, men, right? And they're able to define these roles. And so they want to define the situation that is the most comfortable for them, not for other people. And so they're telling women, well, you would be most comfortable if you acted like this and if you did this, rather than letting the women have a voice. The most logical way of doing it, let's say in a partnership with a husband and wife, would be, okay, we're going to get married. Let's sit down and talk about each of our talents. What are the things we really enjoy and what are the things we're good at? So I might say, I'm really good at yard work. I'm excellent at gardening. I love being outdoors. Um, I'm not so good at cooking and organizing food. That's just not one of my talents. It's also not something I'm super interested in, right? And then he would say, okay, these are the things that I like. I also like being outdoors. I also like doing yard work. Great, we can do that together. And I also don't like cooking. At that point, where there's this thing that's like, huh, we both don't like cooking, then the answer is not, well, you're the girl, so you have to do it, right? The answer to that is, huh, interesting. Neither of us really like it that much. How are we going to manage these household tasks that need to be done? The other thing that I've been thinking of a lot lately, you can work and be a mom. I'm not saying that you should. A lot of women really would prefer to stay at home and they should have that right, right? We want to protect women's ability to choose the kind of life that they want. And if you're talking about household tasks, a lot of people are capable of holding a job and being a parent and taking a shower, right? And doing their laundry and eating. So this idea that there's this thing that women must do and they have to be in charge of basic household tasks like laundry and cooking and cleaning and stuff like that because a human isn't capable of doing basic self-care things and, and having talents and exploring their talents and doing anything else is ridiculous. But everyone should be free to be able to explore their own talents and what they're good at and what they're interested in and also be able to do regular household tasks. Their entire epitome of that person should not be just basic household tasks. Right. And if both the husband and the wife approached marriage in that way, approached life in that way, then they could work that out together and form some kind of equilibrium. But forcing people into these very specific gendered roles, like there are plenty of men who don't feel comfortable being shoehorned in that way either. Yeah, they don't know how to use a hammer. Or they don't know how to fix the air conditioner. And so what do you do? You call you call an AC guy to come and fix your air conditioner. But then to say to a woman, well, you're a woman, and so you should be forced to cook. It's like, no, you're not forcing me to fix the air conditioner. So what can we do to like work this out? I'm not saying you hire a cook. I'm just saying there are so many other options for people if they're willing to except that people have certain talents, certain interests, and that people don't have certain talents and certain interests. And to look at it on an individual basis, that seems to be more in line with what God wants for us because he's created each of us as individuals with talents to do his work. 
He hasn't just said, all women, the only purpose that you have on earth is to make sure that your family gets fed. Right, right. (laughs) And then we go, if you get beyond like the few decades of a woman's life, when her children are young and at home, and she has these traditional household duties to be, you know, like once you move beyond that, even women talk about feeling empty, like where's my purpose anymore? How sad is that? And like my mom, she's only worked outside of the home for a very short amount of time, but she's very handy. Like she knows how to tile and she's a kitchen designer and she does electrical and plumbing and all kinds of things. And she remodeled our house a ton and she's helping me remodel my house right now. In fact, that is what the construction you can hear in the background. If you've heard any of it is my mom is out hammering and finishing my basement right now. So has she fulfilled her own like dreams and talents and things that she's interested in? She's super interested in construction. She loves it. Is she the best person at making dinner every night? And the answer to that is no. She's really not that great at that. That's not one of her talents, but that doesn't make her a bad mom. She's an excellent, amazing mom, and she loves construction. And I'm really grateful that even if she didn't work in the construction industry, that she's been able to to explore her talents, even not working outside the home. So I'm not trying to say that women have to do it in a certain way or a way that they feel uncomfortable with, but having a man look at you and say, well, you have to clean the toilet, because that's your job, because you're a woman, is crazy. It is. It can be anyone's job. Yeah, she talks a lot about this in chapter six, patron saints, spiritual midwives, and biblical womanhood, biblical in quotes, womanhood. (laughs) Because the idea, it's not, let's see, this working outside the home, she says, the phenomenon of being a stay-at-home mother is relatively new and unique to the prosperous right along with daycares to provide childcare. It's a mark of our privilege to be able to decide or to make adjustments to our household budget to keep one parent at home full-time with the children. I believe that it is a worthy pursuit, good work, holy work. I hope so. It's my own daily work. But it's not the same thing as biblical womanhood, is it? If the title can't be enjoyed by a woman in Haiti or even by the woman hailed in scripture the same way it can by a middle-class woman in Canada, then biblical womanhood must be more than this. Tracy and I are going to continue this conversation next week, so stay tuned. In the meantime, we appreciate your support. To support this podcast, scroll down to the bottom of our website, btr.org, and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.